You threatened, cajoled, and pleaded for gifts that are neither mankind's to receive nor mine to give. You had no thought for the harm you must have brought to your world. Hi everyone, and welcome to the first issue of Shadow Truths, where we will explore the world of the Sandman by Neil Gaiman, issue by issue. My name is Petra Borzinski. I am psychotherapist, voice coach, and writer, and I will be your host on this podcast. And we will talk about one of the most acclaimed and influential comic book series of all time. The Sandman has won numerous awards and accolades, the World Fantasy Award for Best Short Story in 1991, for example. It was the first comic book issue to win in a literature category. And also the last one, but that's an entirely different story. I don't think we need to go into that right here. It has also won several Eisner Awards for Best Writer, Best Continuing Series, and it often had a place on the New York Times bestseller list. The Sandman has been adapted into various media formats, um, so if you're not a comic book reader, you can also listen to it um, as an Audible exclusive audiobook. And of course, there's also the Netflix series by the same name, if you prefer to watch. In this podcast, I will pull from all of these if and where necessary, but mostly it will be based around the original comics. If you feel inclined to read along, and that's what I would recommend, although it's not a must, um, I already briefly went into the different editions available in my last teaser episode um, in the show notes and the newsletter that's attached to Substack. So if you want to look into that, I can put it into the show notes again as a link so that you just know what's available. There's really something for every preference and budget. So let's start with the first issue. In this first episode, we will focus on issue number one, Sleep of the Just, which introduces us to the main character, Dream of the Endless. He's also known as Morpheus, the king of dreams and nightmares. And I will start each episode with a little synopsis. So this um, storyline basically begins in 1916, when a group of occultists led by Roderick Burgess attempt to summon and capture Death, Death is Dream's older sister. They do that in order to gain immortality and power. But they make a mistake and trap Dream instead, and they leave him imprisoned in a glass globe. Um, most of the Sandman fans lovingly call that the fishbowl. And he's trapped in this fishbowl for decades. It's interesting to mention in that context that this glass cage... Um, imprisons his body while a binding circle prevents him from making use of his powers. So um, he can't induce sleep or make people dream while he's trapped. And um, yeah, within this binding circle and within this glass cage. And that means that in the real world, people are really affected by his absence in very different ways. There's obviously the impact of Dream not being able to attend to his function, 
which causes the sleepy sickness or encephalitis lethargica, which is a wonderful connection of fantasy and reality because there really was a wave of encephalitis at the time we're talking about here. So in that context, we, for instance, meet Unity Kincaid, a young woman who sleeps through most of her life and whose story stays interwoven with dreams for several issues to come. But there are also those who are more directly impacted by dreams captivity. We have Alex Burgess, the son of Roderick, who inherits his father's obsession with keeping dream captive in a way. And finally, after over 70 years of captivity, which have been stretched to over 100 years for the TV series to bring it to the present day, Dream finds a way to break free from his glass cage and he takes revenge on his captors and sets out to recover the vestments that have been taken from him. And these vestments are a pouch of sand. The sand never runs out and is endless. See what I did there? And um, it can put anyone to sleep and also induce dreaming. It can wreak havoc in the wrong hands, and we learn about its addictive properties later on in other storylines. And Dream also uses the sand to transport himself and others between realms. Then we have his helm, which looks a bit like a gas mask, which is a nod to DC's Golden Age Sandman Wesley Dodds, which we won't go into too much at this point here. And this helm has been crafted by Dream himself from the skull and spine of a dead god that he once defeated. He wears this helm for both protection and as a symbol of office and his authority and power, especially when he makes visits to other realms and planes of existence. We'll definitely learn more about that later on. And the helm is also his sigil among his other endless siblings. Last but not least, we have a ruby. This dreamstone contains most of dream's essence. It allows him or whoever wields it to manifest dreams, bring dreams to reality, even reshape reality itself. It can also be used to manipulate people by changing their hopes and dreams. And we will again learn much more about that in later storylines. Basically, think of the ruby as a yeah, kind of computer. Sorry, I'm probably awful for drawing that analogy. And it sort of, yeah, automates things for dream in a way. So Sleep of the Just is really a brilliant introduction to the complex and fascinating mythology of the Sandman. It establishes the tone, the style and the themes that will be explored throughout the series. And it also showcases the great art of Sam Keith and Mike Dringenberg, who created a really dark and surreal atmosphere that perfectly matches Gaiman's vision. I personally have to say that especially Sam Keith's art isn't my favorite. That's just my personal taste. So if you disagree, obviously that's totally fine. I personally could never really warm up to it. And I think it's indeed harder to warm up to it if you aren't used to reading comics. So that just as a word of warning to those of you who are maybe new to the medium and who just started to get into it.
In this next section, we will address what I would like to call the pain points of the storyline. And we are going to start with the more obvious. We'll get to the slightly more subtle and obscure later on. Well, first of all, Sleep of the Just is a tale of confinement, trauma and oppression. What do we mean when we say a tale of confinement? We mean confinement of hopes and dreams. All the main protagonists are prisoners in one way or another. And for some, there's really no escaping that prison. And even those who eventually do are forever scarred. I would love to use the word changed because it's true. But it's a very loaded word in the fandom of Sandman. So um, we'll get into all of that at a later stage, obviously. More specifically, Dream Story Arc, not just in the first issue, is one of trauma. And at this point, we'll obviously only look at the trauma experienced in Sleep of the Justs. And that is first and foremost the trauma of his imprisonment which we can take both literally and metaphorically. We look at isolation, powerlessness and humiliation because um, he spends the entirety of his captivity naked as an example. And initially in him, that leads to stoic silence, unwillingness to strike a bargain, which might be lauded, but it also leads to cold vengefulness, which is maybe not so great. But if one knows the story in its entirety, one will also know that these are traits that were already inherent to Dream's personality, at least to a degree, before he got captured. So when we first meet him, um, he's lawful neutral at best, if you wanted to talk in Dungeons and Dragons alignments. Nevertheless, his trauma is also a catalyst for change, as we will learn later on. Or do we learn that? And is it truly? We'll see. One big difference between the Netflix TV adaptation and the comics I'd like to get into at this stage, because we're talking about pain points, is that Roderick and Alex Burgess have both been graced with a backstory and a bit more dimensionality, if you want to call it that. So they aren't just your stereotypical villains, almost like they are in the comics. Roderick Burgess in particular suffers from feelings of grief and guilt because he lost his oldest son in World War I, so we don't get any of that in the comics. Nevertheless, he also has a very obvious yes, streak for delusions of grandeur and he abuses his son Alex both emotionally and physically, which becomes very apparent. Alex, on the other hand, is trapped by his father's legacy and his father's fears and his own fears. He suffers from low self-esteem, he has anxiety, potentially he's also depressed. So there's an element of sympathy for Dream's plight in him that we also don't really see that much in the comics. It's probably not wrong to assume that in the TV show he sees him as a fellow prisoner. And all of this obviously makes Sleep of the Just a tale of oppression. So Roderick Burgess denies both Dream and his own son Alex freedom and dignity. He tortures both, be that physically, mentally or both. And the consequences are far-reaching since they affect both victims' sense of belonging, safety and empowerment. 
If we're looking at dream, though, and I already hinted at his sometimes not quite so nice streak, um, especially in the TV series, but also absolutely in the comics, we see a display of, yeah, the revenge before reason trope plays several times. Um, Alex would have released Dream for an assurance to spare his life, but Dream is too proud and he cannot forgive him for having killed his raven, Jessamy. So that has been an additional storyline that has been added into the TV show. Mostly probably for a reason that we learn to see Dream through Jessamy's eyes in a way, which obviously creates a sense of sympathy that's very hard to get into in the first issue of the comics. So Dream at this stage is really proud and vengeful. After his escape, he gives Alex the gift of eternal waking, or they call it the gift of sleep in the TV series. So he essentially traps him in a never-ending nightmare and torments him with fear and dread. And we can interpret that gift of eternal waking as a metaphor for the connection between yeah, our conscience and our mental health. Experiencing insomnia, depression and anxiety because of our actions or inactions is probably something we all can relate to. But even more importantly, it shows how we lose our connection to imagination, our emotions and our sense of wonder. And this is something that is also quite aptly seen metaphorically in all the people who suffer from the sleepy sickness during dreams captivity. These people are yeah, either trapped in their dreams or they're unable to dream. And we all know that this has to impact our mental health. They lose their sense of identity, their sense of purpose and their sense of joy. And it's not unlike what we experience in the depth of depression, for instance, when we either feel nothing or when we begin to use dreaming and fantasizing as an escape. Dreams can be a really powerful source of healing, but also of dissociation, trauma and pain. They totally reflect our inner conflicts and desires. We'll talk more about desire another time. And that obviously raises questions about the nature and purpose of our dreams. Are they just random images and sensations that our brain produces while we sleep? Or are they something more? Do they have a meaning and a message for us? And what happens when we lose or try to manipulate them? The bottom line seems to be that dreams, both while we're sleeping and while we're awake, are an essential part of our humanity. And without them, or too much of them, we become empty shells or monsters. Now, I'd like to go back to dream symbols of office that are already mentioned earlier, because they're quite important in the context of yeah, escapism, detachment and dissociation. As the Lord of Dreams, Dream possesses a set of vestments that symbolizes power and authority. And these vestments are not only tools for his duties, they also metaphorically reflect his mental state and creativity. So the helm, for instance, is also a protection of sorts. It can serve to put fear into whoever should be afraid 
And it also represents his detachment from his emotions and his rigid adherence to his role. So one could say that he wears it to hide his true face and feelings from others, but also to assert his dominance over his domain. However, this particular mindset also makes him cold and lonely and aloof. Then we have the pouch of sand, which obviously represents creativity and inspiration. And Dream uses it to create stories and images and symbols that enrich, usually enrich, the lives of dreamers. But the dream sand isn't entirely benign. If it falls into the wrong hands, it has addictive potential, as we will learn at a later stage. It symbolizes once more the ambivalence of dreams. Dream too much or too little and you will lose your equilibrium. Then last but not least, we have the ruby, which contains a large portion of dream's essence. It represents the entirety of his powers and responsibilities. And he created it once to help him perform his duties more efficiently. But he also poured too much of himself into it. So that makes him somewhat dependent on it. Or at least he thinks so. When the ruby falls into the hands of mortals, it causes chaos and destruction. And we'll learn much more about that. So you see that all of Dream's vestments show how he relates to himself, others and his rule asked a lot of dreams. They basically reflect his strengths and his weaknesses, his joys and sorrows, his growth and change. And this is something that stays important throughout the whole story arc. And in each podcast episode, I'd like to lead you into a little exploration at the end. Because since I'm continuously skirting the lines between being a psychotherapist, a creative artist and a writer, I would like to give you a few questions to ponder that relate to mental health and creativity and have a direct or metaphorical connection to sleep of the just in this case. So the first question for exploration I'd like to give you is what role do hopes and dreams play for your well-being and what happens when they are confined, either by yourself or someone else. Because dreams, in both the literal and metaphorical sense, are not only a way of processing our experiences and emotions, but also a source of inspiration and insight. They can help us cope with trauma, they can help us to express ourselves and discover new possibilities. They're vital for our mental health and it's damaging when we are deprived of them. So maybe just think about that for a bit. The next question, how do you relate to stories and imagination? The Sandman as a whole is about stories and how they shape our own narratives and hence our whole lives. Stories are another way of exploring our inner world and expressing our creativity. They can help us understand ourselves and others better they can help us challenge our assumptions and they inspire us to change. So for instance, when dream is captured, his realm, the dreaming, begins to fall apart, which is a really powerful metaphor for trauma, by the way. So that shows us how powerful stories are for our mental well-being and how important it is to preserve and nurture them. 
So my question for you would be, did you ever try to write your own? Did you ever try to rewrite it? So how do dreams, stories and reality intersect for you? Where do you personally draw the line between processing, using stories or dreaming creatively or using it as an escape? And another question that's quite interesting to explore in this context is what narratives currently affect your reality? Who created those narratives? And I'd like to sort of give you a little hint to pay particular attention to the narratives you created yourself. Is that influence a positive or a negative one? Is it helpful or does it sometimes hinder? And another question, do you think it's possible to change and reframe narratives you hold on to? And do you think it's possible to achieve different outcomes? If you do believe it is, where would you start? And if you don't, why don't you believe it's possible? And last but not least, what's your relationship with discomfort? Do you have a tendency to tackle discomfort head on or do you have a tendency to detach from it? What are the pros and cons for both? That's all for the first episode where we had a look at Sleep of the Just. And I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I loved creating this for you. If you have any questions or thoughts or if you would like to share what you found out when you explored the questions, feel free to just get in touch, join our chats on Substack. I'll leave all of that information for you in the show notes. And please feel free to share this episode with people who might also be interested in the Sandman or just who are interested in exploring mental health and creativity through story. Share it with your friends who might be interested in the Sandman or just in the topic of this particular episode. And stay tuned for the next issue where we will discuss issue number two, which is Imperfect Hosts. Up until then, sweet dreams. Mm -hmm.